Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. You know, when I left Sony to go meet my family, they told me I hadn't been there long enough to acquire any leave. So if I left, they wouldn't, I wouldn't have a job when I came back. Uh, but then I told them the whole story. They said, well, go on and go, you'll, have, you'll be fine. And so when I came back, people were saying, wow, this sounds like it would have been a, a good movie. I kept insisting on writing it and they kept saying no because I hadn't been to college and hadn't any writing experience. So I felt like, well, it's my story. I didn't have to ask anybody anyway. So I got some legal pads to start writing it by hand. Hi, survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yay, another episode. Another episode. Tara, we are uh, in our second week of recovery from CrimeCon. Oh my gosh, I got sick afterwards. I think I'm the only person that didn't get like sick or get COVID. Right? So many of our friends were testing positive, but we just also chatted with someone that will be out in a couple weeks, their episode, and they were feeling a little worn down, but they said it was just from the energy. It was just worn down from the energy. Yeah, CrimeCon can be overwhelming for survivors and for podcasters and for everybody, right? Oh yeah, you know, especially if it's a bunch of extroverts, like in general, you know, and I'm like an introvert extrovert, and well, no, it's a lot of you're an extroverted introvert? I don't know. I'm like in the middle. Like I like my alone time. But no, there's a lot of introverts there normally, not extroverts. There are a lot of introverts there for sure. It's exhausting being a lot of people and being around a lot of people. Yes. People asking you a lot of questions, people kind of, you know, getting in your space. It, it can be a lot. And that's why you got to take time for self-care. And you are offering this is the last week to sign up for your retreat in Sedona correct oh yes there's one more week away it's next weekend it's gonna be amazing fun lots of yoga I have a sound bowl class and it's gonna be a great time to connect with other women that are experiencing trauma or going on their healing journey yeah it's gonna be the start of a healing journey you're gonna talk a lot about self-care you're teaching yoga and it's in sedona and what are the dates again october 13th through the 16th fantastic and there's what one more slot left right yes just one more spot so email me right away email you tara newell pr at gmail.com so speaking of people you know we, we just interviewed someone whose episode is going to be coming out in, in the next couple of weeks they started a podcast and some people make movies about their lives. And that's what our guest today has done. And who was that guest? We have Antoine Fisher. It was really cool because I remember reading his book, Finding Fish in class. And then I saw him on Instagram somewhere. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I need to connect with him. He's a survivor. And then I was so happy when he decided to come on the program yeah, it's and share his story and connect with you. Yeah, it was really cool. We had some, you know, because he has a, a history in Ohio, of course. Everybody comes from Ohio, it seems like. You know, amazing. And I remember when the film came out and Derek Luke and, and Denzel Washington, it was a really big deal. And 
the amount of success that he had and he's found as a writer and as a creative doing something positive with his story is is incredible it's an inc like that alone is an incredible story to make it in hollywood it takes so much effort and, and to do it at such a high level and to see him just be such a, a gracious and wonderful human being and um and such a positive influence on so many people has been really amazing yeah no he has just such great energy and you can honestly see it in his skin in his body just he doesn't hold his trauma yeah well he's definitely done a, a fantastic job of uh, catharsis and doing something with it that's been very, very positive. So what do you say we get into his story? Yes, let's get into it. How cathartic was it to, for you to tell your story using art? I didn't even know what the word cathartic meant until I wrote my story. <laughs> <laughs> it fit the, it was the perfect word, you know, for it. You know, I started remembering things, not that I have ever forgotten them, but once you start remembering things in order, like you decide, and then, you know, I've always used, you know, where it turns out music was like a bookmark from my life, so my memory. Yeah. So I could remember, I could hear a song and remember where I was, and then I wouldn't just let the thought go. I would be in there and re even, not reliving it, but trying to like remembering and thinking about it, and then I would remember something else. And these weren't all bad memories. Some of these memories I have uh, were with childhood friends and, and uh, times that I really enjoyed, you know, Ohio, you know, can be harsh in the winter and then even in the summer. But my favorite time of year was the fall when it was really pretty with, uh, with the leaves. You, you yeah. know what I'm talking about. Oh, yes, I do. And it's I really enjoyed the smell of the leaves in, in late summer. I mean, late winter, uh, fall. And uh, sometimes I would sit on the back porch with that cool breeze going. The sun would be warm and the scent of the leaves some maybe might be burning and it's like trapped in my memory and I and with a song to go with it and I would never forget that that combination of things and think about that's how I can I remember I was doing a Steve Harvey uh, his radio show and he's from Cleveland he lived in the same neighborhood a couple blocks from yeah me. he is and and I said well, you know, Cleveland was, was great. It was, you know, I, I don't mix what happened to me with my memory of growing up in Cleveland. Uh, so he said, well, if you think that neighborhood was good, you were really abused. I was thinking, you know, <laughs> he just, you know, he, how he is, he's just making jokes. But I was thinking, if you had to spend that much time in, a, in an environment and couldn't find anything memorable, and a, and a good memory from it, then he was living in the city. He was living on outside the city. He was not collecting uh, memories like I was. And I think that's why he he said that. He's a comedian, so he might have been joking, but 
Knowing him, he probably wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I've actually seen him live for Family Feud. It's been great. And he mentioned his radio show and how he had an issue with the airline. And then he talked about it on the uh, radio show and he got his luggage back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's a cool guy. Yeah. Well, what was it like to have the movie made? Did you have to change a certain amount of things about your story to make it like adaptable for television? Oh, I don't think they changed very much from, you know, once it came went from the theater, they didn't alter it much. I think early on they were putting uh, disclaimers on it for because some people may not be ready for some of the subject matter, but uh, I think they pretty much left it the way it was. Uh, I was fortunate that I was the one that wrote it and I had a lot more in it because all, all I knew was to write my story. But the studio said that uh, it would be a lot for an uh, audience to sit for all for two hours and have one thing happen after another. And, you know, it's not even necessary. But I felt like I, when I was writing it, I didn't know how to write a screenplay. I was just writing my story. So uh, Todd and, and uh, Rand Haynes, and, you know, they all helped me uh, decide what stories I should put in. And that was a part of why it took so long also. And uh, so, you know, I think if someone, if I had told someone the story and someone else would have written it, I think it would not have been the same movie. It would not felt the same or maybe it wouldn't have the same impact. I think when you tell your story, there's some parts of your story or the way you might say it, only you can do that because some things you almost have to be a lived thing like you know like how could someone describe something they never experienced maybe they could do a good job but maybe they can't i think uh, some things only you can describe yeah no i definitely think that in my case the only scene that was like a hundred percent on accurate and everything was my scene because they had to have my perspective of that and so it's crazy how you know when someone else writes your story they're a they have to change a certain amount of factors because you're not involved in it but i just love the fact that you were able to tell your story from your point of view and not have really anything change from your perspective You, you know the studio uh and Denzel and Todd, they were all really respectful of my story. And uh, I remember uh, when we, we would be on the set and uh, Denzel would be talking to the crew and everyone. And then he says, so we're doing this for Antoine. And he said, not this guy right here, but the kid Antoine was. And just to remind people that, you know, you know, I appreciated that, you know, because he kept the focus on on what was important, you know, like I was there, of course, <clears throat> and it was me as an adult, but I felt the same way. And I wrote a poetry about uh, that kind of thing. Uh, who will cry for the little boy who cries inside of me? I understood when I wrote that. I was 16, actually, when I wrote that. But I, 
I understood that there was a little boy inside of me that I wasn't anymore, that I had to protect that kid. You know what I mean? So yeah. a part of the thing, and that kid was, when that kid gets hurt, the adult gets hurt. But now I've grown to a, a place where I could think about those things and discuss what happened, and I don't get hurt like like that, you know. You know, you, it's almost like being a parent to your younger self. You know, you got to manage. You know, you got to. What's called the inner child? Yeah. yeah, that's right. I think that's a lot of things in, in, in that people when they become an adult and they get hit in the face with this trauma that they experienced as a child and they're into adulthood. And a lot of times, you know, they're in marriages or they're, they have children of their own. And then it sort of hits them like a freight train. Mm. It's because they never dealt with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And do you feel that your writing process was how you dealt with that? Like ultimately, and that's like what put that to bed. Like when you finally, I know for me, when I finally saw it on the screen, I was like, okay, I put that to bed. Was that the feeling for you when you're in the theater and you're yeah. watching it and you see Derek Luke up there and Denzel? Yeah. You're like, okay, yeah. this is done now. Well, the movie, yes, the movie. But as far as my experiences, I always keep it all with me. That's why it doesn't hurt me, bother me, because I keep my whole life together. I, uh, I, I, I sit and I think about things. You know, some people say, oh, forget about that. You can't forget about any portion of your life. It's not cool for no. someone to ask you to do that. Yeah. And uh, when people mistreat kids and they think the kid's not going to remember, the kid will remember. They're hoping that the kid will grow up and not remember, but they will remember. And for anybody to decide to forget about any portion of their life is not, it's not cool. You know, how can you make a better life in the future if you can't remember what happened or what's wrong or how you got to the place where you already have to remember. And it doesn't mean you have to wallow in the pain of it. You know, this is why we have therapy. This is why sometimes you have to <laughs> be honest with yourself where you in part responsible or, uh, you know, in life, we know sometimes we got to take smacks in life and walk away. You know, sometimes you don't get to hit people back. Sometimes, you know, once you understand that, then you won't be thinking like a vengeful person. And I'm just here for, not for this adult me. This adult me has to help the one that I was that is in pain. You don't want to uh, show yourself as an adult still reeling from pain from your childhood. So you have to work on yourself constantly, you know? That's what I think. A hundred percent. And I think it comes out, especially in driving. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like you can really see people's trauma come out in driving because, you know, people get angry at each other and then it's like, okay, if that person flips me off, I actually should calm down. I shouldn't retaliate. I shouldn't go chase them down and have this yeah. disagreement with them. You know, you need to let it go because that's how, that's how dangerous incidents happen. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes you can think to yourself, okay, I could get upset about this, but t tonight about nine o'clock, I won't even be thinking about this. I'm not going to let this moment uh, alter my life. I mean, an hour from now, if somebody's yelling at you, if you could manage to think like, as soon as I'm away from this person, 
who I don't know. I'll never think of this again. So I don't get caught up in the net. It's like a net. You know what I mean? Somebody got a big net and they're going to throw it over you. And then once they get you in the net, who knows? The police might show up. You know, the person might hurt you. Or if you have a conscience, you may say something that after it's gone, you wish you hadn't said. So sometimes it's better to just take a lick and just go home. You know, make sure you get to go home. I think that is sage advice because... You said, I'm not going to let this moment alter my life because so many times you see people do that. They get angry, they retaliate, and then all of a sudden, you know, maybe they hit somebody with a car and somebody gets killed. Now you're going to prison for 10 years versus just walk away. I just, I think, and, and I'm really asking you this, when you look at societal impacts of violence, do you think that if people just took a pause and just said, I need to just step away? we'd be much better served than seeing this reactive culture that we live in? Yes. You know what? You have to, people don't, I think, I don't know. I don't know if I've learned so much that I could give advice, but sometimes people are so uh, adamant to show somebody else, like, I'm not going to let you talk to me like that. Like, you know, you know uh, oh, I can't let you uh, get the better of me. And so I have to do this to you or... I can't let you get in front of me. You know, like if you're on the freeway and you come to an on-ramp, you know that people are getting on the freeway. You got to let them on, you know, so you slow down so they can get on the freeway. But some people won't slow down. They'll speed up and try to cause an accident. Do they care? No. But I always, always, you see people have a blinker on, you know, they want to get over. I don't have a, you have to practice not being that way. You have to think about it. You have to say, if somebody, when you get out on the freeway, if somebody wants to get over, I'm gonna let them over. If someone wants to get on the on the freeway, I'm gonna slow down so they can get off the on-ramp. You know what I mean? And if you keep practicing doing that, it'll just become a habit. And not letting anyone get in front of you. And you know, some people don't even know they do that. And that's just the freeway. But in life, you could be on the, in a workplace. Uh, they they won't uh, tell you something that might advance you in your career because they're not getting an advancement. They can't take it and just feel good about it. You know, sometimes helping people makes you feel good. You know, and some people... Uh, they let, um, I'm not going to help you because nobody helped me kind of thing. It's not the way, you, ultimately, you wind up my age and being angry. I'm not an angry dude, you know. I could, you know, in this time, I could have a lot to be angry about, but anybody could. Anybody 30 years old, you know, if you collect it, things like that. Nobody ever gave me a break. Nobody ever lets me on the freeway. Nobody never lets me over. They drive too fast. Or people drive up close behind you if you're in the uh, uh, the diamond lane. Uh, so I'm going to put my brakes on. You know, I just first opportunity get out of the diamond lane and get into a lane that's moving to the speed I want to go at, you know, rather than having problem on freeway. And so I use the freeway as a metaphor because every time you leave your house, 
whether you're walking down the street, you're on the freeway, there's all these people around and these people could hurt you. They could, you know, someone who could help you, but you don't know. So you kind of, kind of mind your business and keep your eyes open, you know? Yeah. And there's nice people in the world too. Again, can't forget about that, you know? I got to tell you something, Antoine. I just, I just typed you in because you said something my age. And I'm like, God, this guy doesn't look that old. <laughs> I just looked up your age. <laughs> Man. I'm 64. You look fantastic, my friend. And that is, a, and that is an absolute testament to you. Like it doesn't wear on your face. You know what I mean? The trauma, you know what I mean? Of just your whole vibe is just, is expressed just in how you look like this is not, you know what I mean? This is what this looks like when you are, yeah. are dealing with this and, and handling it in the right way. My younger daughter says, you know, dad, you don't have any wrinkles at all, you know? I said, because when I was a kid, I wasn't grinning all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> oh my gosh. And how old are your kids now? Oh, they're adults now. Uh, I have a, a 25 year old daughter and a 21 year old daughter. Yeah. Okay. And then you yeah. told me that you were paying for the college and they're going off to college or they oh. went off to college. Yes. Well, I have one that finished at UCSB and one who uh, finished, she finished at uh, SDSU. Now she's at Dominguez Hills. She's getting a master's degree and she's uh, uh, applying for programs for a PhD. Uh, she's doing that now. Wow. She's finishing up her thesis, uh, her master's thing. And uh, so, I, you know what? I always tell people, I, I've spent my, the money that I've made, I spend it on education and housing. Now, <laughs> my car, people say, oh, Antoine, why don't you buy a new car? My car is like 16 years old. It's a Dodge Charger. When it first came out, I said, oh, I, I've always wanted a muscle car from when I grew up, when I first saw the GTO, the first GTO. I said, wow, I got to get me one when I get older. And I realized, oh, they're not going to be making those cars. So I bought myself a muscle car. And when I got it, I said, this is the old car that I wanted. It was brand new, but now it's older. But it runs like a brand new car. But the, the reason why I bring it up is because every time I see it, I it reminds me that I wasn't selfish. Education and housing. No cars for Antoine. <laughs> no cars. I'm not a car person either. I feel you. <laughs> as long as it's clean, you know? I like my decent car. Yeah. I like <laughs> one that runs good, that's safe. Yeah. I actually have a Mercedes, but it was one of the inexpensive Mercedes on the lot, and it was actually less than a Honda Pilot. Yeah. Because I was looking at Honda Pilots as well. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tara, as you know, I've been going back to therapy and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right? Oh, yeah. I went back to therapy and I went back to BetterHelp as well. 
Did you really? And how's that working out for you? I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD. There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love. Oh, yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before and I was like oh because I was typing it out with her processing through it and usually I get angry when I type stuff out but I was like oh I was able to process it and work through it in a new way and you know what in a season of giving what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy in the season of giving give yourself what you need with better help Visit BetterHelp.com slash Survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Survivor. You know, Mercedes makes so many types of cars. Uh, it's the emblem that people are buying, really, I guess. But there's so many different types. They have good safety. Yeah. 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 yeah, I guess that's true, too. Yeah. Well, and then I have a buddy that works there. So when I bring in my car, it's taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's why I have that car. But I'm like, I, you know, cars are just cars. And education is so important. Yeah, because the car one day will be gone but and I will be gone too. And But the education my kids got you know, won't be, they'll be here long after me. And uh, that is something that to have until they're not here any longer, that you just can't, yeah. you know, buy like you can buy a car. You know? Yeah. No, 100%. Yeah. So those things matter more, I think. Yeah. Well, I love the life that you created for yourself. It seems like a good life. It's quiet. I like that. <laughs> Now, is yeah. it quiet because it's, there's the writer's strike going on? So are you quiet? Because you said you still actively write, correct? <laughs> well, yeah, you have to keep, you know, actually, it's probably the best time to write. In 2010 I mean, or eight, there was a writer's strike. And I found that, wow, rather than uh, not do anything, it'd be a perfect time to write something. Because then there's no pressure. You don't feel pressure. Oh, I have to finish so I can give it to a producer or a studio or something, but that's not possible right now. So the pressure of try, trying to get something together in a limited amount of time, it'd be better to be able to take your time and think about dialogue and so the characters are sound like real people, you won't just blow through it, you know, like that. Yeah. So yeah, we don't strike. So I'm so I'm writing <laughs> for myself. So everybody know. I love that. Well, I just love the positivity that you have because that's a part of moving on from trauma and that post progression part of trauma is when you're able to take it and you turn it into something good and you're able to move past it and see the positivity of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, if you had a choice to be angry your whole life over something uh, or happy or some, to some degree, I would choose to be happy. And things that happen uh, in your childhood 
you, you, you have to get help for them. And then you have to help yourself too. You have to think and you have to uh, remember things. And uh, remember you have worth, a lot of worth, value, you know, and, and you have to be empathetic. Like my foster parents, I'm, I became empathetic toward them. You know, I considered where they came from, their mentality, the education that they didn't get, the worldliness uh, uh, or their knowledge of the world, how they were treated as as people in the South. You know, my foster father was his father was a slave. So if my foster father's father uh, uh, punished him a certain way, which was the way his grandfather was punished, then they're going to punish stop going down the line. I would be getting punished that way too. At some point, people, somebody has to stop. I'm the one that did yeah. not punish my kid. I threatened them though. <laughs> when they were little, I said, I would say like, you know, if you don't stop, you're going to get your spank, like one spank, but they never got the spank. And, but what I do have that work, my older daughter would say uh, things like, did he give you the look? Yeah. I said, what's the look? They said, you know what the look is. <laughs> like, my mother did the same thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel proud of myself that I did not continue that. But I did understand how they came to be that way. So they kind of took some of the, the, the anger away because some of it was kind of a historical uh I don't know what they call it when one generation does something and then then the next, because it's learning, it's learned behavior. It's generational trauma, you know? Yes. Yeah. Epigenetics, yeah. Yeah, the epigenetics, the generational trauma, yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, so if you you want to get past uh, something, someone who hurt you, it's hard to be empathetic towards some people. And it would have been hard for me when I was younger. Some people, I, I feel that, it, that empathy is not going to work with some people, viewing them with empathy. Some people, it will work. Like, I, I could do that with my foster parents because I can consider the time in our history when they were born, when they were raised, who raised them, and the environment. And so, okay. But in your case, uh, John did not does not deserve any empathy. He was like a selfish user, and uh, her, uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody only thinks of himself, and it's just like have all the potential to be doing good things in the world. Like he was so smart. But he chose to do bad things. And same with Collier's dad. They're actually both named John. <laughs> wow. um, yeah. So, you know, they just chose the wrong paths in life. And I think it was partially because they were taught differently and also because their brains didn't have that capability. Hmm. Well, then it sounds like you empathizing there a little. At least you understand. Yeah. 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 And I think there's a certain level that you need to understand your abuser on and why they do certain things. Otherwise, you don't have understanding of trauma. Yes. Yeah. I unfortunately did not 
discover that about my father. My father was just a psychopath. Wow. An abuser from, from Jump Street. I thought that I would discover that he had been, you know, physically, sexually abused as a child, and that's what had molded him into becoming a murderer, right? And when I was doing, you know, pre-production for my film, I thought I was going to find this out and I, and I actually found out that he was abusing his siblings growing up because he was the oldest sibling and he was not abused. <laughs> he just was that way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. So it's like but this complexity of abusers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? When you have kids and you raise them in a way they're, they're not around abuse and they've never been abused or anything. And then, you know, you know, when they get out into the world, they're going to meet other people. They're going to, you know, your daughter's going to meet boys and your son is going to meet girls. And these people may have been abused and they're going to be blindsided by the whole thing because, uh, you know, you, you never feel like you got a chance to say everything sometime when you have kids and they get grown and then, and, and you know, it's one thing I've thought about, you know, the older I get, the more I feel like I know about, but a lot of young people don't want to hear that. <laughs> they don't want to hear it. So I be, I'm more of like an advisor now, like, and not, you know, you can't just like <laughs> say, my daughter said, oh, don't do that. Like I would when she was younger. She's like, I could tell you how to do that. Or you just have to watch until they say, okay, dad, what would you do? <laughs> yeah. See, I get, I get, sometimes, sometimes I'm dad, sometimes I'm daddy. When I'm, when I'm daddy, I like that, you know, cause they, it feels more like when they were kids, but you know, they're grown. So, you know, sometimes they don't, but you know, it's having kids, makes life for really worthwhile for me and and you know i can't imagine why people would do things to young people babies and kids uh because it's it get you know like right now i don't know i, I probably need to be a screenwriter i probably write for food you know you know i would probably write a screenplay make the money and run out of money then write another screenplay but now you know it's Given me a life having kids, some something to do, uh, something to to uh, be a part of, and to be a part of helping to shape uh, somebody, and to see them, you know, graduate high school and college, and you know, go out into the world, and you know, and then they, you know, call and say, "Hey, Dad, how you doing?" <laughs> Yeah, but so you should call me more, you know? They could call me every day and yeah. it would be fine with me. But, you know, a week go by, I'm like, hey, you can't call your dad. <laughs> but, but this is how it goes, though. So it's a beautiful life, you know? And, you know, and sometimes I think about my story and I think like, wow, if I hadn't had all those things happen, I wouldn't have a story to tell. And apparently my story has helped a lot of people. And so... I tried to frame it that way, you know? There was, not that that was the purpose, but uh, it's, it's done a social service. A hundred percent. Absolutely. But if I hadn't told it, like we are all talking now and we've all had our trauma, 
uh, telling our stories uh, helps other people, even if it will inform them that they're not the only ones. And we, all three of us have a, a varying degree of what, of what our trauma was, but we're all here together talking about it. And I think that's great because if you don't talk about it, I think we might have even, or, you know, saved people by talking about our trauma. And there's something that Collier always says on the podcast. What do you say, Collier? Well, I was going to say we're all a part of a squad that no one really wants to be a part of, but we're all a part of the Survivor Squad. Yeah. <laughs> Antoine, I would, you know, what would you say to a young Antoine Fisher who's out there? What would you tell them? What would be your, if you could say one thing to someone who's going through something like that, what would that be? Well, you know, like for a long time, I didn't feel like I had value, you know, uh, because I was told that when I was younger. But as I grew, I realized I had a lot of value. And I didn't have anything to offer when I, until I realized, I joined the Navy and realized I had a lot to offer. They expected me to do a job, a lot of jobs. And you can't say no. And I didn't have the self-esteem or the, mm, the self-esteem uh, to, uh, to believe that I could accomplish some of the things I wound up accomplishing but I was put in an environment where they don't let you say no, they don't accept it. And so you wind up doing things like, I have done so many like things that I would never have a chance to discover that I was capable of doing, uh, but I got that chance in the service. And I realized I have value. When people hire people, they're hiring them for the value that they have. And uh, you have to, um, when you're young, have to remember that. I have something to offer. I'm not just here and for abuse or to be put down. Uh, I have a value and I'm gonna find out what that value is. Early on in the Navy, when I first joined the Navy, I didn't qualify for any schools. So I was in this department called Deck Department. We did all the menial jobs like paint the ship and you know swab the deck do anything but you can what they call strike out of that meaning do the courses go to the board and they'll send you to school and then you'll become you'll do that job so i joined the navy i was in deck department and i identified a job that i wanted to do while i was there i did the courses i did everything i was supposed to do and i became that you know, I was in that job. And because I'm dyslexic, you know, in the Navy, you have to take tests in order to make rank. I just believed in myself and I was making rank like everyone else. And I realized that I wasn't like below average. I wasn't above average. I was average, which was normal. And when you learn those kind of things about yourself and you have to want to find out what your value is it'll make you feel powerful. Even if it was like, I'm good at um, 
Let's say I'm good at washing dishes, which probably nobody does anymore. But if you do a good job at it, you become good at it. For example, when I was in the Navy, a part of my job was to cut hair. They're called ship servicemen. They do everything, like they run the ship store, the, any retail thing, like the base club, you know, it's what, what I did. So my first job was they sent me to school to be a barber. You know, in the military, everybody got to have a haircut. Uh, I decided I was going to be the best barber in the Navy. And I feel like I became that. And what made me think that was because the captain of the, this one ship I was on liked the way I cut hair so well, he told the Commodore to come and get his hair cut by me. So the Commodore was just stationed on the base. He'd come on this ship and I would have to wait the after hours and cut his hair. And then uh, Rear Admiral Ramsey's was starting to get his hair cut from me. So all these big, uh, you know, Admirals and Commodores and Captains were coming to our ship to get their hair cut up uh, from me. And I had that feeling like, you know, I did when I graduated from high school in boot camp. I wish somebody could see me. You know, they're all in there talking, you know, whatever they're talking, important things. And you see their, their hats have all these scrambled eggs all over it. And, you know, they're powerful people. But there's something they wanted from me. And I was just a third-class petty officer. It was something that I had to offer that they wanted. So they came to get it, and they could only get it from me. So I realized that I found out how to be powerful through a little job that I had. You have to do your best. Wow. Well, I think that is the perfect note to end on today. Where can we find you on social media or your book, your movie? Oh, my website is AntoineFisher.net. And I have an Instagram page, and it's Antoine Fisher Official, I think it is. Antoine Fisher Official. One of those. Got to help me out with that one, though. Well, we will put links to the in the show notes of today's episode for all of Antoine Fisher's links, yeah. <laughs> the appropriate ones. Um, Antoine, <laughs> thank you so much for joining the program. And as I always say at the end of it, we are all part of a squad that no one really wants to be a part of. We were all a part of the Survivor Squad. Antoine Fisher, thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun uh, yeah, talking you. to like-minded people. <laughs> yes absolutely well thank you all right i really love this episode and i think that there's some great little moments in our patreon that people could check out especially with you guys talking about ohio yeah our little ohio connection is has been very cool we talk about the orchestra all of that yeah there's some there's some really great stuff and uh, I'm, we're, I'm just so grateful that he came on the program. I mean, and now the writer's strike is over, so he's probably very busy. <laughs> You're writing and, and working on all his projects, but I'm so glad that he could take time out to be on our program. Yes, no, I'm so thankful. And then he's in LA. You guys are Ohio to LA transplants. And it's <laughs> we are. just so funny because I'm just sitting back every single time we have a guest on and they're like, oh, I'm from Ohio. I'm from this area. And I'm like, I just need to visit Ohio one day just to get the layout of the land. No, you don't. No, I don't. No, you don't. There's a reason why we're all out here. Oh, 
So Tara, we have just finished CrimeCon. We did True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival in August. September was CrimeCon. But where are we going to be in the next couple of weeks? We are going to be at Obsess Fest in Dallas, Texas. It's going to yes. be a blast. There's going to be drag bingo, drag brunches. There's going to be a Q&A with us. And other true crime podcasters, other true crime creators, all your favorite creators. We're all coming together with True Crime Obsessed and their second year of Obsessed Fest. And we are, well, we're obsessed that we're going to be there. We're just stoked to be a part of it. Oh, yes. And it's different from all the other festivals that we have been at. It's a different crowd. It's still true crime loving crowd, mm-hmm. a true crime loving crowd. You know, I'm just going to say that. <laughs> yes. and they are, But they're all fan base is very, very cool. It's of merch that we've made for Obsessed Fest this time, right? Like your true crime Barbie shirt. Oh, yes. I'm so excited for that shirt. I just can't wait for it to come in the mail. And then I get to try it on, take a picture in it, maybe get my hair all pretty, do some Barbie outfits, make it just, you know, pink and fabulous. Yes, we do have exclusive merch that will be available at Obsessed Fest. And of course, we also have that on our store, which there are links to in the show notes of today's episode. Yes. Until next time, survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.